the Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, joining you from the lands of the Lekwungen-speaking peoples, the Songhees and the Esquimalt First Nations, recently known as Victoria, BC, Canada. This is a question for all the woman-identified listeners. What gets you mad? Like, what really ignites your inner rage? The kind of rage that makes you lose your mind and either collapse in or explode out. And how much more than 100% is it patriarchy? (laughs) Patriarchy making me lose my mind lately and... um, yeah, so I am delighted to welcome back to the show my dear friend, Taranae Airfan, because uh, we just needed to dish on what it's like to, you know, A, recognize the amount of anger that is just simmering under the surface of our lives, living under white capitalist patriarchy, uh, B, reconcile with that anger, you know, honor and acknowledge it, validate it, affirm it without being miserable all the time. And C, mobilize and reclaim agency in a world that doesn't want us, to put it as another numinous podcast guest, Sophie Strand, put it so aptly on a recent episode. Uh, Yeah, she was talking about the hardest part. No, she was talking about how the part she related to most um, to the Mary Magdalene character in her book, uh, The Madonna Secret. She was saying, The part I relate to mostly is just trying to find my place in a world that doesn't want you. So whether it's academia or uh, the workplace or just society in general, uh, online, TikTok, whatever it is, how do we mobilize and reclaim agency and like feel good and feel happy as we become more and more aware of the constant and like unrelenting amount of white supremacist capitalist patriarchy there is around. So Taranae Airfan, we are in good hands with her. And I just, I could talk about this with her forever. Taranae is a registered clinical counselor and a writer with a degree in expressive arts therapy. She was previously on the show when her book came out. It's called Conscious Grieving, The Path of Awakening Through Loss. And you may have seen her poetry or pick-me-ups on Instagram through her account, Mind on Spirit. Taranae is one of the presenters at this year's Witches New Year, an online retreat happening on Saturday, October 28th. And I'll tell you more about that at the end of the show. But for now, let's catch up with Taranae. So my dear friend Taranae... What identities do you lead with now? Hmm. I am <laughs> I am a mom to two magic humans and a pup. I am a first generation Iranian immigrant living on um, stolen ancestral lands of the Squamish people. I am a poet, a writer, a lover of the wild and people and in nature. And right this moment, I don't know, I hadn't really been thinking about it, but right in this moment, I feel like 
also I'm very currently aware of specifically my identity as a daughter to also first-generation immigrants who are processing their own their own life as uh, people who've come to this land specifically from Iran specifically as someone who is um, a cis woman born in this body given that there are so um, many human rights that are being violated currently in Iran by the Islamic Republic, um, particularly uh, really harming all people, um, but really, really strongly um, harming women and gender non-conforming people. So I think I'm also just really currently very aware of that at this time that we're doing this recording. It's um, roughly the one year anniversary of the murder of Masajina Amini and the start of the women life freedom movement. So I think I'm also just, as you asked that and I like let that question sink, I think that's very kind of top of mind or top of heart for me right now as well. That makes sense to me. I was going to ask you about that because I was remembering too, as you started speaking, that at last year at Witch's New Year, the revolution had just begun. And um, in your session, which was therapeutic writing for the witch wound, uh, you were wearing a scarf and started to um, invoke our witch ancestors and revolutionaries in our lineage. And I was curious, I was asking in my mind asking you, yeah, how are you and your family holding up? Mm-hmm. And so I want to ask you, how how are you holding up? Um, in all honesty, it's been like a humongous year of all sorts of collective grief and processing. I think especially as immigrants as and people living in diaspora, um, as people who are first generation. So like, I still have strong memories of living there. My parents certainly do, um, my siblings as well. Um, we still have lots of family that lives there. Sometimes we get news, like internal news from family that is cacophonous with what we hear through social media, certainly like in opposition to what you hear in like mass media. But it's been it's been a lot to navigate. There's been a lot of work, at least I can speak for myself personally. I think my family members have had their own unique journeys with it. But these contemplations of um, what is our role in amplifying the voices of Iranian people? How much are we helping or hindering um, with certain aspects of what we bring forward? And turning the kind of the guilt that rises up of like, well, I was able to get out. I my family was had this um, made the sacrifice of the immigration, but also had the great privilege of being able to leave. And then really sitting with, yeah, the enormity of that grief and guilt that comes with that, mm. um, and having to shift that into powerful action and. Uh, 
gratitude and like it's it's a lot it's a lot of internal work um and it's yeah I don't know it's, it hasn't been easy <laughs> yeah I can imagine I can imagine when we think about the spirit of revolution and a mass mobilization like the women and girls in Iran have inspired I wonder how in your own life in parallel how's your relationship been with anger in the past year well maybe this is one of those like macro micro things maybe they just happen to coincidentally be occurring for me at the same time or or maybe it's just like divine timing I don't know like um for me personally the last um I would say probably three years I have been I, I caught this wave of oh holy holy smokes there's some <laughs> like uh, there is, I think it started as sadness and discontent. And the more I excavated, the more I realized that underneath that, there was unrecognized, let alone unprocessed, but like unrecognized anger. And then below that unrecognized anger was a whole other depth of sadness and grief and coming to terms with what what truth there really was that was occurring uh, within my life and so yeah my relationship to anger there there has been like a personal element there has been a collective element there has been a how do I acknowledge the anger that is really present um, give it some space and voice without becoming this ball of like miserable negative like just oh you know yelling screaming human like I that's I don't think that that is helpful either so learning how to can give like a safe container for my anger to be felt to be expressed to be explored to, to even just like navigated in some way um, in doses so that it doesn't fully take over. And then I'm just like, a, uh, you know, it's, it's not, it's not healthy or healing for me to be constantly angry. It's not healthy or healing for my children, for their mom to be constantly angry. And yet uh, the anger has been there and, and has needed space. I think on the collective level, when we talk about the women life freedom movement, um, yes, peaceful protests and uh, posting things on social media, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean that the anger doesn't come through. It, it, it comes through. I think the, and the common theme with, between the kind of greater collective experience that I've been having. And then the personal one has been that both of the angers have come from, or have been rooted in, or like kind of germinated in, um, the lands of, um, mainly, uh, hegemonic ideologies that have to do with uh heteropatriarchy and um the diminishment and the stifling of women's voices and rights and, and not just women but um, people who are not in the up power position mm -hmm. um, and 
I think that that's kind of that common thread. And the last several years, it's like my blinders have lifted from in my personal life, realizing how impacted I was by um, capitalist, colonial, white supremacy, heteropatriarchy, like these powers that were, are in the undercurrent of so many of our lives. But I, in a way, was like, well, well, you know, of course, I stand up for people's rights and and yet like the okay we'll we'll make the best of it we'll make the best of it which is kind of what a lot of women are taught to do to make the best of it despite totally unfair unhealthy insane reality is like well make the best of it I I imagine especially as an immigrant woman you have like these extra layers of you should be grateful that Mm -hmm. you're only being oppressed in this way (laughs) totally oh my gosh isn't that so true isn't that so true and the amount of normalization of oppression that happens it's like it's it's not that bad Mm-hmm. it could be way worse it could be it could be way worse oh you have no idea you know right <laughs> at least you're not living under the Taliban it's like right. yeah we're not that's not the measure of success we're going by here <laughs> let's not do that yeah. let's not yeah so okay so what did you learn when you kind of the blinders came off you realized like, oh, actually under my grief is quite a lot of anger. And underneath that anger is like a different, deeper level of grief, perhaps even despair. What did you learn about processing, about like coming to the realization of just how enraged you were? Uh, how much time we got? Um, oh gosh, the learnings have been... Uh, kind of constant and like rolling, you know, there's been one learning and then another and then another. If I go to the beginning and I think about just the allowance for anger, just like just opening myself up to anger to say, to, to consider that I am, I am not a bad person for having experienced anger. I think that's from, for me where it, where it began. Um, someone who um, was like a prominent figure in my life, um, let's call this person, person X. Um, they were someone that was, you know, really involved in my daily life. And um, they had made it very clear that there was no space for my anger um and that you know essentially if there was ever any expression of anger that the connection would dissolve and um i think because this person was i i'm you know like this is like a long time ago i was like i think about like how youthful and you know just, um, I think in some ways undeveloped or underdeveloped my being was to the realization that 
hey, actually, it's not healthier to be nice and have and just like have no anger. I think what I interpreted in that relational dynamic was, okay, if there's no room for my anger to be expressed, then I just need to dissolve all the anger within myself before ever having any conversations. And so I was doing a shit ton of emotional labor, a shit ton of internal work to constantly. And I think in, in some really unfortunate ways, gaslighting myself around uh, the experience of anger and being like, well, like, it can't possibly be that bad. Like you shouldn't, you know, or find equanimity, you know, like started like, yeah. you know, also at the time, like I was like, uh, you know, late teens into twenties, I was really into the study of Buddhism and, um, you know, I think I, hooked onto certain certain aspects of the ideas without understanding the fullness of how important it is for all of our human emotions including anger to be experienced now anger being experienced is not the same thing as anger being um, used as a weapon to harm others those are two yeah. different so, or intimidate or or intimidate or yeah. overpower or you know take over a space or minimize others or get your way or you know all of those things which are actually very much as I say them out loud I'm like yeah this is like this is heteropatriarchy <laughs> that I'm describing this other form of anger this like <laughs> externalized overpowering use it as a weapon, use it as a way to win wars of interpersonal and, you know, massive, you know, countrywide things. So now you're thinking of, okay, well, but if it's not that, what what is it? What other ways can anger be experienced? And I think anger is like information from our body that something isn't right Mm -hmm. Something isn't resonant to my truth. Hold on a minute. And what's not right? It's not us that's not right. There's mm -hmm. something in this environment that's not right. I think a lot of people, especially women and gender nonconforming people, will turn the anger inside. I hate mm -hmm. myself or I'm frustrated with myself. We'll like hurt ourselves. We'll treat ourselves poorly. We'll make reckless decisions. We'll restrict eating will restrict joy will 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 act out or act in because we think we're not right because heteropatriarchy particularly white heteropatriarchy is so normalized you know we and and i think we see it in like different diagnoses for children you know like boys will get um hyperactivity disorders and girls will get borderline personality disorder <laughs> you know that kind of thing it's like why are there anyway i'm like getting tangential but <laughs> what what i think you're describing is um kind of like even that next layer of the blinders coming off that it is okay for us to experience anger and anger doesn't have to equate with violence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to, but be, maybe perhaps it's also like my 
own upbringing. Like I was born during the Iran-Iraq war. Uh, anger and violence scared me, like if for good reason, you know. Um, and generally, I uh, violent outbursts have always been a, tr a trigger for me personally in in my own life. And so without a lot of modeling of what to do with anger other than, you know, swallow it. And then I think part of like, maybe this is also an unsaid thing. Like, I think, let's say in my upbringing too, there's like, I have memories of, you know, um, there is a lot of separation of like roles um, based on gender in Iran. Like, but I think also here too, I wouldn't say that mm -hmm. that's, but I'm just like, I'm just remembering like uh, growing up in a household where like we had lots of gatherings and the men sitting around and drinking tea and smoking cigarettes and talking about whatever they were talking about. And the women were in the kitchen and preparing and cleaning. And then after they had fed everybody and everything was done, and then they took it and they took, went to the kitchen and they're cleaning the dishes and then the dishes are put away. And then they pour a tea and they sit at the kitchen table where, while the men are maybe in the living room, just like they're still having a great time it's not like the women weren't having a great time but I think parts of those conversations are also like this kind of irritability of like how much the labor goes into even just like a social event for the women and like the men are just having a good time and like I was exposed to that so I think there's also this like undertone of like when you're annoyed let's say you're in a heterosexual relationship I think it also works in queer relationships but just for this example that I'm giving about my life it was like yeah you like kind of like you love your husband and you love your family but also you do sit around with your friends and you're like these fucking guys you know so it's also like you have that anger but then the only safe space is in these safe spaces that actually never addresses the original issue right and, yes. and you kind of stew in it a little yeah. bit um, and then I think about like when I was like a teenager and like, yeah, like total, like little mini bitch fests about like being irritated about, you know, something, but not really necessarily working on actually what are the tools to like bring this forward and have conversations that could alleviate the kind of annoyance. I mean, anger is obviously stronger than just the mere annoyance, but just, let's lose using it as an example what is it about there not being a safe enough space for us to have conversations okay so if there isn't equity or equality of voice or something or if we feel like if we talk about our discontent we're about to be gaslit because that allows this other party to feel empowered and still in like oh you're just being sensitive or like oh women you know of course there's like that whole side of things as well but the issue isn't that anger exists the issue is that there aren't enough um safe spaces and conscious spaces and um uh deconstructed spaces that like pull apart like um 
I don't yeah, know what, what the, is actually happening like, here. The yeah, systems like, well, that are keeping us in this. Yeah, exactly. There, I don't think that I grew up with enough of those uh, exposures and opportunities um, to really have that happen. And I think that in many ways I was searching for it. So like I studied nonviolent communication. I ended up studying therapy. I became a yoga teacher and a meditation teacher. It's like, I put all of these tools in my backpack in order to make the most, uh, the best out of difficult scenarios for conversations to happen. Right. Totally. Still, it took me years to realize that some of those conversations weren't happening in certain aspects of my personal and interpersonal relationships. Well, and even if they were, they probably wouldn't work for lots of different reasons, but like a, you know, I mean, we talk about this, um, in the numinous network and we've, you know, we talk about this kind of thing all the time about how you can't heal an entire relationship by yourself. The other person has to be engaged. And if they're not willing to actually relinquish some of their power, this is just a moot point. Why are you even <laughs> trying? But the other thing is that so many men, and this is how like, um, patriarchy is just shitty for everyone. So many men don't hear women um, or can't hear anything unless a woman is like yelling or extremely angry. And then it becomes an argument because they have been communicated with in that manner. They've been yelled at by coaches. They've been bullied and hazed. They've been, it's like the only, nothing's really important unless you're in fight or flight. <laughs> unless there is the threat of violence, mm -hmm. then it doesn't really matter. They're not really serious. They're just, they're just joking. They're just kidding. It, it, you know, it's not that big a deal unless they are in some kind of like under threat. I hear this from so many different men. Um, and I hear this sort of like secondhand through my husband and like his experience in men's groups that it's like, just the constant everyday threat of violence is like how they know something's important. <laughs> and like outside of that, they're not really responding. So you're in a no-win situation if you're in this like hetero um relationship because you're gonna either be gaslit, diminished, you know, like it's not that important, it's not that important. And then you're gonna lose your fucking mind going hysterical and they'll be like, okay, Jesus. <laughs> what are you so upset about? I had no idea it was this bad. Fine. Let's go to therapy. Fine. Let's go. Even though you've like asked them, you've, you know, you've made requests, you've communicated all that stuff. So I think unless someone in the up power position and, and, you know, in a hetero relationship, it's, it's the man, unless that man is willing to relinquish some of that power, feel secure enough in themselves. It kind of doesn't matter how many, how skillful you are. Mm. Like you can be so skillful, but they have to be a certain kind of guy. They can't just be some guy. This is, <laughs> you know, uh -huh. they, they, <laughs> they gotta, he's got, they gotta be better than just some guy. So how did you, in the past year, how did you process this anger? What did you find useful for you in terms of like, you know, kind of getting out of the head 
and those like, you know, how do I <laughs> speak better? How am I more persuasive or more clear in my communication? Like what, what did you find was the next step? Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, just like a mini thing about what you just said, like the amount of years I spent thinking, if only I could say it slightly differently, if only I just knew, like, if only I was better, basically, if only <laughs> I was better, things would be better. The amount of books I read, the amount of therapy I did, the amount of like, personal and professional development that went into this. Um, and I think still, um, even with all of that, uh, for a long time, anger didn't have a lot of space. It was more like, well, if I meditated more, maybe I would be less angry. Or if um, I process this better in therapy than, than, you know, it will be, but I think in some ways I still was maybe ashamed of feeling anger. Um, because maybe that part was so internalized, like good girl kind of mentality of like, be nice, be, be, be small, be, be, be like, be feminine, <laughs> be, uh, be generous, be gracious, like, and, and I do think that those are really important. Um, and I think a lot of like values around like, benevolence and loving compassion still are very instrumental to how I lead my life. And yet, I wasn't really looking at how uncompassionate with myself I was being to diminish the experiences of anger that I was having. Um, so for me, it started small. It started with just the recognition that there is anger within me. I'm, I'm experiencing it. It's moving through me or it's in the space between me and life or me and other people or whatever, or a situation at hand and that it has room to be here. It's, it's okay that it, it's here. I think for me, the doorway to that was grief because it was like this, it was understandable. Like I was going through like humongous waves of grief and it's like, oh, it's okay to be angry when you're grieving. So for me, I, I it suddenly like allowed myself to be like, it's okay, it's okay to be angry. Like let the anger be and like witness it. And, and so the first was just noticing it and allowing for it to exist without immediately feeling like I needed to minimize it or contain it like really small. Of course, I was, once I started to look at it, I was like, oh shit, it's not as small. And like, hey, this like little bit of anger that I can just like <laughs> in my pocket, like, fuck. it was like, oh my God. Like then it became like, how do I make sure it doesn't take over? Mm. What are the safe ways to contain, feel it, feel it fully, don't like, you know, dim it, but not so big that it just becomes, it, it becomes me or I become it, right? Like, or I'm consumed by it and I can't see the goodness in the world. I can't see the love coming towards me. I can't receive moments of rest because I'm just ruminating in my mind. I'm pacing the floor and banging my, you know, I'm running my cup against the prison wall of heteropatriarchy. 
against the right. bars. It's so true. I don't know anything oh, yeah. about it. Yeah. And I got, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, I think for me, so what do I, what did I do with it? I think one brought it to therapy. I think that that was really healthy because it was like, Hey, here is a safe health space that is contained within this hour where it can, it can come. And also the therapist can hold it and, and, and help like, um, bring me back to a place where I can like, okay, I've dispelled some of it. Now I can decide what do I want to do with the remaining amounts of it? Or does it feel like it can be contained for now? Can I brush some of it off? Um, is some of it really living in my body? Do we need to stomp during the session? Do we want me do, do we want to do the big no feelings like, you know, uh, like those things. So there was elements of it that were helpful to be tooled up in therapy. And then I think there was this part of um, making sure that it didn't just live in my mind and in the stories I had that were keeping the anger alive. So a lot of the anger that I was experiencing was like re reflective of past experiences, not just in the moment. So sure, it could be like something had happened that day that brought anger. But I think a lot of it was like, oh, all of these instances where I was I was making nice and I was being a good girl or a good daughter or a good sister or a good partner or a good whatever and all of these ways that I was like just like right. the um the dissonance of like how I was feeling with what was expected of me anytime I had to swallow that it had kind of right and so then you can find yourself like time traveling through instances yeah. of appeasement and there's so many feelings about that too about all the ways that we appeased all the ways that we kind of had reverted escape by getting closer to the very people who were confining us or making us small or indignant towards our full expression and so it totally makes sense that anger is one of those like very rapid portals or rapid like vortex where it's like, oh, this is just like, like all the other times when I made nice or I just sucked it up because I just couldn't get through to you and boom. Like, so now how do I get current in it in this moment? Yeah, that's pretty tiring, hey? so tiring and required so much compassion. And sometimes I didn't self-compassion that I sometimes I didn't have. I lots of like, oh, fuck, I can't believe I did that. And then forgiveness for myself for having done that and coming to terms with why, why I had done certain things, why I had operated in a certain way, um, being gentle and soft with myself around some of those things. Um, and I think for me, I couldn't do it all in my head. There was just too much of it. Um, and also like with the, the allowing space for anger, there was just like agitated energy within me that needed to go someplace. So for, but, and yet, because I was in, this experience of deep grief a lot of the time I didn't have a lot of energy so mm -hmm. I've heard like you know uh, fucking Instagram psychologists are like if you're experiencing anger just take up boxing classes it's like I can't fucking get out of bed it's not gonna help me to do mm -hmm. boxing like that feels 
way too far-fetched, right? I'm not saying that that doesn't work for everybody, but for those who are not at the place where it makes sense to stomp it out or box it out or, you know, um, there needs to be some other avenues of like dispelling or expressing or like releasing that anger and for me it had to come really gentle because I was quite I, I feel like if I had had the energy I didn't have the energy but if I had had the energy to go boxing I would have probably hurt myself or hurt somebody else like I, there was way too right. much of it. so I really think I had to find ways that the anger could leave my body in much more manageable um what felt safer for me and what was accessible to me based on the amount of energy that I had. So for me, it was walking. Like mm-hmm. I know it, maybe it sounds like simple or small, but for me, it wasn't, it was just the consistent, you know, the stupid little walk for mental health, but a lot <laughs> of it was about, um, you know, letting the anger leave leave the body Mm -hmm. so sometimes it would be very intentional I would I would know that I'm experiencing I would know that I need to go for a walk I'm you know extremely privileged and blessed to live in a place where I live close to trails so I I had a place for it to be held by uh, the elements and by nature and sometimes I would think about stomping it out sometimes I would end up like running for five minutes when I was just like ah and then be like fucking breathless and like "Ah, ah, ah," you know and like being okay with that and leaving space for that um and sometimes it was just like a walking with a steady yep there's sadness and there's anger here here I am Mm -hmm. here I am with these things um Sometimes I'm anger, my old friend. Hello. Yep. (laughs) And I would cry about it sometimes, or I would voice note things that I was like, oh, this is this is what like, oh, this like this is what's coming out, this memory or this moment. And um or I would, you know, my thumbs would type fast into the notes on my iPhone, which like, you know, could come into therapy sessions or be explored further into journal sessions or become a poem or, you know, uh, become relevant for some Instagram post or whatever. But they were all things that were like, hey, here is something that's moving through me. Um, Let me get it out. So some of it came out in voice, in words, in tears. Um, Some of it came out in the thumbs doing fast work some of it came out in feet stomping into the earth um uh, but all of it was about somehow giving some safe container space for it to get out yeah yeah that thing of being in freeze where you're just like I can't get off my sofa but I Mm -hmm. also experience all this anger and I do want to get it out you know in trauma work and somatics, we talk about like, okay, so you want to mobilize out of that parasympathetic um, dorsal drop where you've got the break on, okay, let's mobilize out of it. But I'm often telling clients to be, to really be like thoughtful about that, because what are you mobilizing into? And um, the, the thing for me that I'm really working on myself 
as a little, just a little mammal, just also to deal with big feelings is when I'm in the freeze overwhelm of like, I, I just feel so trapped or confined and I'm going into shutdown. I'm still working on just literally getting myself to stand up. Like that's the first somatic practice is stand up. Like just literally stand up and then look forward as I walk forward. And I just walk forward in like a tiny little circle. <laughs> but it's like, this is like the the ritual of me signaling to myself, I am not prey. Fuck this. I am not prey. And so I am going to like stand up and look forward and walk forward and signal that to my whole self. Um, I'm lucky that I have you know, a very supportive container to mobilize into my, my partner who's a cis man gets this stuff, but only because, you know, anybody who's listened to our portrait of a marriage, uh, mini series knows I like not only almost lost my mind and we separated, but I was like getting vertigo and migraines and panic attacks and things because I just could not, I was losing my mind feeling so gaslit and unheard. So I think, you know, I'm really lucky now that I can mobilize into environments of safeness. And I like what you're talking about, like, okay, is that container, your phone, you know, (laughs) a group of friends walking in the woods, just like something to move your body. But I'm also curious, there's like two things that come up. Number one, we're going into the fall and winter, the dark half of the year, where some people may just naturally feel more confined either because of weather or like the psychology of darkness if you're in the um, northern hemisphere. And um, and so like what can people tell themselves? I tell myself I'm not prey, but what what do you what do you tell yourself or what do you keep in mind about fall and winter? And the other thing is is like, okay, once you mobilize and you're like, oh my God, I am trapped in white heteropatriarchy. Maybe I'm in a relationship or at least like, if not with a partner, then with uh, parents, with Mm -hmm. colleagues, with bosses who are so both men and women absolutely shaped by the normalization of patriarchy that they don't even see it. You start to feel like you're sleeping with the enemy. You can't get away from it. You can't get a break. Um, So how do you soothe (laughs) yourself? Like once you've like discharged some anger, how are you soothing yourself um, relative to this predicament of, of living in patriarchy? Um, if I lose the thread of the second question, please help me remember. I'm going to go to the first question first and then we'll come. So in terms of moving into the fall and winter, um, two things, two things come to mind. One is that, um, based on my personal experience and my professional experience as a therapist, having supported many people over, like over the past more than a decade yeah I think it's it's a real thing that we're going into fall and winter and on the one hand it's like oh yay cozy sweater weather and like tea and you know I like my love for chai latte and like all this kind of stuff um 
yeah, there is, there can be a, like a really soothing kind of coziness around it. Um, but one of the things that comes up is if the coziness is not accessible in your house, whether because you are moving through a <laughs> challenging time with the people that you're living with, whether that's a partner or your children or your parents or whoever, um, or roommates or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, maybe it's not going to feel super cozy and safe and good. Like maybe that's just like something that feels like it exists in movies, but feels out of reach. Um, or um, you, I'll speak for myself when I was moving through a period of deep grief, staying at home sometimes made me feel like, although it was cozy, made like, oh man, there's so much, like, it just felt like, you're like just kind of like sitting in it. it. Like, yeah, I was just like sitting in it. Um, so to that point, when I was feeling like that, like can't get off the couch or the bed. Yeah, I would. Um, I like your saying, I'm not prey. I think for me, it was um, like it, it changed. It, it changed from time to time, but it would be some version of this will not break me. Um, or, uh, it was like, um, um, I, I think, uh, it was from Brene Brown's podcast from several years ago, like, um, soft front, strong back, wild heart. Like sometimes that phrase helped me to, to do it. And, and I would literally like, um, put my put the soles of my like bend my knees put the soles of my feet on the bed or the couch or the floor and push the soles of my feet activate the inner lines of the legs like feel my sternum feel my back body pressing in and I would press intentionally to be like look you got a back <laughs> you're not you're you're not mush <laughs> you know you've, you've got a back here feel your back and then once I felt like enough like just minor minor like little activations in the body if I had it within myself to get myself up I would get myself up I would go for a walk if I didn't and sometimes I didn't I had a few people who were you know on speed dial on my phone or sometimes I would text like girlfriend group chat or my sibling group chat and I'd be like help <laughs> anyone available for a five minute call. I need to get up and out. And, uh, yeah, usually someone would be like, yep, happy to would give me a call. And it would just take that, like anchoring to a safeness outside of myself to be like, okay, yeah. And then I could just like push, get up, put, and, and usually they would stay on the phone with me till I tied my shoes and got the dog on the leash and I'd be like, okay, thanks. Bye. You know, and <laughs> that was really, really helpful. And I think that it's uh, good to notice that, uh, take, take note of that and, and tell our safe people where we're at when we're having like days or weeks or some people, for some people, months like that. And, hmm. uh, kind of normalize this collective care piece like mm -hmm. so much goes into you just need a little bit of self-care no man like we don't all need self-care all the time like my nice nails are not gonna make me 
<laughs> like, you know, uh, yeah. survive this like insurmountable amount of like sadness or grief or anger that I'm experiencing at this time. So I, I think it's, it's important to do that. Yeah. I like this idea of like an up and atom group kind of thing. It's like, yeah, as, as beautiful as it is to, yeah, maybe get nails done or my facialist is not the person I actually really want to feel seen by right now. Yeah. I want people who yeah. know my situation. Um, but just a little group that's just like, hey, has anybody got five minutes? Like that, yeah, that that seems really beautiful. Okay. So I mean, I think also the Numinous Network is a, a great space for that, right? Like I, I think that um some people might also come to spaces like the numinous network where like maybe they don't have safe people maybe they don't have a group of girlfriends or so um, true. I'm very I'm very fortunate that my siblings and I are in a place now in our relationships where I, that feels safe for me to do it hasn't always been the case and it's something we've worked on and I've worked at you know mm. so um I think it's helpful to know that like and it's okay it's okay if it's if if those people aren't always uh in your like personal circle Ooh, there okay. is this like wider collective the numinous network being one of them thank um, you for I, saying that yeah yeah and and I think there's also like the reality of like I think it was two or three years ago when you first started um offering the extended therapeutic tremors and like for me just for me even to just show up and like camera off just do my thing but know that I'm like in community and like that also felt like a safe space to learn the skills to to feel like seen in in a way just by showing up and um, I think that also helped the nervous system especially in those moments a few years ago where I was experiencing so much freeze state to yeah. learn safe mobilization into safe spaces yes um, yes totally so I think that that is also like helpful to know and whether that's safe spaces in the physical world which for me at times has been in the house at times it has been out of the house and or virtual spaces mm -hmm. totally like specific people on the network or groups on the network or then outside of that you know friends and family so I think totally. it's we have tons of people who come to um, the group somatics classes or like your contemplative grief class. They, they're not even coming necessarily for the content. They're coming for the contact nutrition and to be able to soothe or discharge or just mobilize like, oh, right, this is, you know, to stop gaslighting themselves and be like, yep, this is a real thing. And like you say, like to kind of mobilize or have that awareness in a safe space is, yeah. is maybe the only space they have. That's actually a very large percentage, I would say, of members of the Numinous Network do mm -hmm. not have this like we have. <laughs> Where it's like, hey, let's like dish about how white heteropatriarchy is pissing me off this week, you know, whereas we do yeah. it pretty frequently there. <laughs> I mean, and here's, here's maybe like a lead into the second part of the question that you were asking, like what happens when you wake up and you're like, fuck, I'm sleeping with the enemy here. Quote, yeah, unquote, quote unquote right? enemy. So, yeah, it's uh, the movie, Julia Roberts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think that um, this is actually a really good point for those who are listening to this or they're in the exploration phase of like, um, 
the the things that have been pushed down or uh, minimized in order to be nice and fit in and make nice with people and make life as smooth as possible specifically for other people not necessarily for themselves and then they're like oh crap like i'm 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 in it and i don't know how to get out of it um i think maybe one of the things is this like find the people who will either guide you into safe spaces or um share safe spaces with you to have a container into which you can explore what the truth of it is for you, finding the words for yourself. Not every word that maybe a facilitator uses in a session might um, be the right words for each individual. However, the more exposure they have to that or tools they can gain, the more they can be like, and how does this live in my life? How is it real in my life? Given that, okay, I live in this particular house, let's say, um, and it's really under the spell of white heteropatriarchy. What is safe for me to walk into? What kinds of conversations could I bring forward? Is it time to say we need a family therapist or a couple's therapist? Um, or are we actually at a stage where it's like, actually, we all listen to the same podcasts while we are like cooking and then we chat about it over dinner or, you know, it depends based on the people that, you know, you wake up next to. Um, but I think it's worthwhile knowing like, how can I resource myself? How can I know that I'm not alone in, I don't know, like fighting the good fight. Like I think it it can feel very overwhelming and and or maybe even like impossible. Futile. Like mm-hmm. yes, futile. Like it might feel like that. So especially when we uh, don't have examples of other f- folks who've walked through it, um, or like people r- real to us, or virtual, or stories, or. Um, myths or, you know, um, even drawing from, um, you know, ancient stories of, mm-hmm. from different lineages or exploring information from like our own ancestral lines or, you know, there's so many different ways to go about resourcing ourselves when we are finally ready to say, hey, this BS is not working for me. And in fact, actually, I don't think it's working for you either. Yeah. (laughs) Can we please get into honest, conscious conversation about it so that we can all live a more mutually beautiful and peaceful and loving coexistence without those resources and stories and like things to like, I mean, and this is coming from the person who like packed my bag full of tools and tools and tools. And and it still in some ways wasn't working for me until I was like, okay, no, I need, I need different ways to get the conversation across and, and, or I need a space to say, Hey, I'm trying this conversation. It's fucking going nowhere. Help somebody. Totally. I think like when you were, you know, you're swimming in patriarchy when you're in an invalidating environment. Like when you're just feeling invalidated over and over, patriarchy is afoot. And so you need to have somebody who's like, so that sounds like patriarchy. 
<laughs> you know, and like give you language and kind of give you a framework or a lens and also some kinds of, you know, lifelines or, you know, um, like a sense of agency. Like it was a really big deal to me to realize like, I'm just going to make some very quiet personal choices here. One is I'm not going to give my time to white men, basically. It's <laughs> like, I'm just, I'm just not anymore. I, the, the, the relationships that I had, I was going to focus on the one with my husband and like pretty much outside of that, it's like, if there isn't a baseline of reciprocity, I'm not picking that up anymore. I'm not, I'm just not doing more than my fair share here anymore. So guess what? There's just like not that many white men in my life. So I actually don't experience a ton of patriarchy until I'm like going to the doctor or something like that. Um, I'm not going to give my money to them. So like, I'm just not taking those courses. I'm not buying those books. I'm not watching those movies. I'm just not. And so I just kind of did a bit of a cleanse, a bit of a detox. And I'm like super duper selective mm -hmm. about where I'm directing my money. I'm just not going to direct my money to like, even if they're like, quote unquote, a good one, nice guy. It's like, no, I actually, I want to live my politics, but my beliefs, but I want to redistribute this elsewhere. I've just given enough. I've lived in the, in the, I've lived in the white man's imagination for most of my life from like school and English literature and just everything. I've lived in the imagination of a middle-aged white man since I was born pretty much and in my education and culture. So I'm just going to pull focus to other voices and um, also just deciding I'm just not going to vote for white men. I know it's the green party. Hey, but if you can't come up with something better than this, if you can't give me more options, I'm just not going to do that. Like I'm just not. And people can fight me on that. Everybody has their own thing. Like I, I get it. That's going to be very activating. Um, but I think finding your own kind of parameter of like, how am I going to live in a different imagination is a lot of agency, but you need to be, find those environments that are created out of a different imagination that make you feel validated. It's like oxygen. It makes it so much easier to name that that's yeah. what's happening. And like, that's another thing we do in the network. That's totally didn't mean to be like a plug for the network show but like I will say that is yeah. one thing that every guide this is our agreement they're gonna like sometime in the first 15 minutes or so or at some point in every session they're gonna name capitalist imperialist white supremacist patriarchy as the main shaper of our neurobiology and that we are going to shape our neurobiology in a different way now um so yeah, I think we do have to find ways to soothe and connect on it and live in this predicament. Of course, we're trying to unhook it, but we're still trying, we're unhooking from it, but we're still trying to survive within it. And it can be like a pretty confusional field at times. Um, yeah. So Taranay, I'm very excited for your session at Witches New Year, where we're going to explore anger and movement and processing and things like that. Um can you tell us the story of, of how, how movement ancestrally has been really important, like an important thread? I'm just like so delighted when 
you know, we're talking about ancestral work or we're connecting with the witch within. And then you like discovered something really important that your family didn't think to tell you. What was it? Yeah. Yeah. In recent time, I discovered that um, as part of my ancestral heritage, there was a matrilineal line of nomads. Now I have always kind of felt myself pulled towards moving. I, I, when I was doing my master's, I focused on movement therapy as one of, one of like my, um, uh, like yeah, focal, focal points of like oh, yeah. my work. And, um, I really had explored it like for myself and I, it certainly comes into my therapeutic work and, uh, I had no idea that there was this like beautiful history of my people moving across land and living with the land and on the land and in relationship to the land. Um, and that that movement was is 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 part of the way in which they found ease and peace and and meaning in their lives and so for me it's been this like i don't know just heartfelt kind of homecoming experience of realizing that this this actually has existed mm. in, my, in my lineage and like these visions that i've had in certain um you know, experiences that I've had one of them with you in one of the work pieces that uh, of work that we've done together of like very clear visuals of, um, you know, well ancestors who are guiding me being nomadic, but I actually didn't know that it was real. <laughs> you know, I didn't know that that was like, that was a thing. So that's been really beautiful. And in my own life and in my own like practice, personal and professional, um, this idea of continuing to move in the seasons with the seasons in the land with the land in relationship to the land um, is really has been really healing and really impactful for me for me also it's been like a deep place of inspiration for for my writing which is also very meaningful and healing and like a, a creative outlet for me so in many ways a lot of the time you know come rain or shine I'm out walking walking anywhere anywhere mm -hmm. and there always seems to be some kind of wisdom from the land or metaphor that's just like way too obvious to miss um or uh, some of the time I I walk and I ask the question I just start the walk and I say you know, let's say I'm feeling confused that day. I say like, um, I'm, I'm ready to receive some insight. I'm, my eyes and heart are open or I'm, I'm, I'm listening. And it might be that I see an Eagle that day. And, or it might be that, um, the stream is overflowing and abundant, or it might be that, you know, uh, um, a magnificent mushroom is growing on, you know, somewhere on a log. And I think about like that nurse tree and like the reciprocity of the forest, like it could be any, any of those things. And all of it, like without a doubt, every time I'm out, if I'm moving with intentionality, the messages and the healing are well-received. 
Mm-hmm. I think as long as I'm, again, it's like blinders are not on. I am, I am alive. I am present. I am asking to be in relationship. I'm thanking the land I'm stepping on. I'm thanking the trees and the sky. And like, even if it's cloudy and it's pissing rain, you know, like <laughs> I'm, I'm allowing myself to be nurtured by it. I do always get nurtured by it, which is one of the reasons that I created this program called Woods and Words uh, for the fall and winter months, which invites people to come along with me, come come along on those walks and they receive like virtual or like auditory little like mini uh, podcast audio thing, 15 minutes ish to take along on their walk. And with these types of invitations weekly to get them through those months where it's harder to get out and get moving, but yeah. the land is still there to nourish us. If, if we allow it. We're definitely going to link to Woods and Words in the show notes. I'm glad you brought it up. I was going to mention it. And also, you know, yeah, you taking like spirited poets in the wild out and things. There's like things that people can do in person and virtually um, wherever they are. So we'll definitely put links in the show notes. Aside from um, moving and walking, how else are you going to nurture the witch within this fall and winter? Um, my altar game is currently so good. Um, I am loving my altar game right now. I feel like it's been a practice that has been like, uh, coming and going for me throughout the years. And for many years, I didn't have like the space or like the safety to, to be in relationship with um, myself, the world and ancestors around it, but, um, and spirit world. Uh, and now I'm at a place where it feels really good. So I keep my altar altars. I have a few very alive, which feels wonderful. Um, I'm super excited about my burn bundle that I made, um, plug for your book and your offerings. Um, uh, you know, I have them, I have a couple of them and one will be, um, burned close to the witch's new year time and, you know, fires. And for me, some of it is that is like elemental, like relationship with the fire. I live close by a river. So relationship with, um, the earth and the water in like all of those seasons, Mm. um, so yeah, my, my witchiness is, is coming out in those things at this time. It's like, yeah, lots of bringing the outdoors in watering crystal bowls, rocks and gems, you know, taking things down to the river, like offering things to the river, bringing something back from the river that could, you know, sit on the altar for a, a month or a season or something. So kind of that feels, yeah, that's, that's what's happening. It feels delectable. It's so sensual, just like (laughs) you. Thank you so much for sharing your, your anchor and sharing your containment and, um, you know, the, the beautiful space you hold for anger and, um, exploration of like what might be in the shadow, what might be there to, that could maybe surprise us 
with its potency. Um, I'm very excited for us to, well, I'm excited to be a participant, but I'm excited for us to share it with, with everyone, which is New Year. Thanks so much for being on the show today. It's my absolute delight and pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. If this episode resonated for you, you are so not alone, my friend. And yeah, maybe you'll come hang out with us in the network. Maybe you'll come hang out with us at, uh, which is New Year. Definitely, you will want to check out Taranay's Instagram, Mind on Spirit. And you'll find links to Taranay's offerings in the show notes in your podcast player or at numinouspodcast.com. I'll also put some links uh, for you to learn more about the Women Life Freedom Movement, um, just to educate yourself, stay updated, and keep supporting. My listener shout out today. Here's a very special review from Jesse Harold entitled, A Must Read for Kitchen Witches and Muggles Alike. The Spirited Kitchen is such an amazing book. First of all, it is incredibly well-informed, and the introduction alone is worth a read if you're interested in how to explore spirituality, witchcraft, and ancestral veneration with integrity. The recipes are amazing. The potato gratin is now on regular rotation at our holiday dinners. I've started holding Wheel of the Year gatherings inspired by the Spirited Kitchen, and it is helping me grow my community and my spiritual practice. Thanks, Jesse. That, I can't even tell you how gratifying and inspiring that is. And I've seen photographic proof of this on Instagram because she tagged me in some, I think it was Belton photos, I believe. They looked great. It's exactly what I hope the Spirited Kitchen would do is inspire gatherings in nature to celebrate the micro seasons wherever you are, to encourage regular pauses, to reconnect and to ground in our values. Jesse's doing that in a really beautiful way. Thank you to everyone who's left a review on the Spirited Kitchen. And finally, Witches New Year is happening on Saturday, October 28th. Tarane is going to be holding a session. So if you feel like after this episode, you're like, I need some aftercare, then you will want to mark October 28th on your calendar. Recordings will be available if you're busy that day. So you'll want to get your ticket. Nonetheless, Tarane is just a fabulous facilitator and uh, very experienced, very compassionate, and um, we can hold you in this shared predicament, friends. We have an incredible lineup uh, to help us hunker down and keep cozy during that day. It's an eclipse day, actually, so we're not going to do big magic this year that's like sort of contraindicated on eclipses, but we are going to gather to learn about the astrology of this eclipse, as well as what's in the stars for 2024. We're going to learn some um, perspectives on anti-fascist folklore, uh, embodiment for the witch wound with Taranay, as I mentioned. We'll do a deep dive into the tarot card of the year for 2024, the strength card, as well as an ancestral veneration session with special attention towards queer and non-binary ancestors, as well as those ancestors who were childless, yet integral to the lineage. It's going to be a fun and fascinating day. Make sure you're on my newsletter to receive the announcement when tickets go on sale. So we will see you there. Come hang out with me and Taranay there. Sign up for my newsletter at carmenspaniola.com. C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Until next time, take care.